Welcome to the latest edition, which is basically the first episode of season two in the Visions and Tones podcast. I'm Dr. Tony Nundu. And uh, like I said on the trailer that I'm excited about this season uh, because there'll be new stuff that we will be trying out in the show. So for instance, having uh, roundtable segments, which uh, we aim at focusing on having discussions around issues that sort of affects men or how men sort of um, should look out for each other and at the same time educate each other on how to be best versions of themselves, um, both among or around their partners and also their children or just their families, you know, in, in general or at large. So just like what happened in season one, for those who might uh, recall episode one, which is on understanding the point of critique, I thought it would be a great point of departure if I should kickstart season two by sharing two key points that I feel like um, for those who are members or family of the Visions and Tones podcast and those who are sort of embarking on a journey of uh, critical thinking or reflection and, you know, all those kind of stuff, critical engagement, at least having these two key points um, can be useful both for yourself and also the person that you'll be engaging with, whether it's just a healthy general engagement or it's a... Um, Debate. This is something that can actually come in very handy for you, and and and, and you know, perhaps also make you be a better person or a better debater or whatever the case. So perhaps this we could call this part one of uh, how to argue well or whatever the case. And the first point um, that I want to raise in terms of. Um, how to argue well or what to anticipate in the show is actually drawn from the works of uh, Jordan Peterson. And I know that in some of the episodes, for those who are sort of religious people of the visions and tones, they would know that at some point I sort of criticized um, Jordan Peterson. Um, and I, I guess my critique still stands, but at the same time, I think his work is brilliant. His work has got uh, many aspects um, of brilliance, which actually uh, credit should be given away it's due. As much as uh, very often even the preachers tend to forget, you know, their sermons at some point, I feel like part of my critique was sort of hanging a lot onto that. And, and, and maybe let me get onto it so you'll understand what I'm talking about. The first point that I wanted to sort of carry with you is on uh, perhaps if you've read his book or you've got all of his book, uh, Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life. Um, rule number six, he says, abandon ideology. And this is basically what I want to carry uh, within this season. And I hope that as a listener also you try to carry that uh, particular point, abandon um, ideology. I think the reason why I love abandon ideology is because very often if we limit ourselves to just a little bit that we know or the little that we know, we tend to sort of fall on the poverty of knowledge in a sense that 
the one thing that we know we hold it in high esteem as the ultimate and the only truth that exists but as somebody who sort of believes in you know great aspects of postmodern thinking i sort of wonder whether do we really have one aspect of truth and I engage in a whole lot of debates with, you know, some of my friends who are not even in the scholarship and, you know, uh, who question things about postmodernism and whatnot or postmodernity um, as a frame and, 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 you know, blaming it on the fact that a whole lot of the things that are happening today in the world, issues of um, not having one version of truth, births a whole lot of confusion. And some of the comments were made in particular in relation to what is happening within the trans community. And I, I wish um, um, at some point in this season we can sort of engage further in terms of that and where the postmodern thinking steps in and stuff like that. But just to push that on out of the way, I'd say people need to be very much aware of the fact that certain frameworks or concepts when they're created very often they're not created in a or built or constructed you know with more of a clearer vision of the future as to what is what is to happen in the future what's going to happen in the future and very often you find that uh, people who might sort of ascribe or promote those certain frameworks they might tend to uh, be quiet at some point whenever they feel like uh, they're works is sort of getting distorted by other either um, uh, neo um, constructors so to say um, so for instance if 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 you are aware Kimberly Crenshaw Prof Kimberly Crenshaw's work on intersectionality is actually work that came from a legalistic framework but then with time the work gets um, adopted you know within different kinds of scholarships um social movements is one of them uh, gender studies is one of them and so on and so forth and the way in which then intersectionality can be employed in both uh the social movements frames and 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 within uh gender studies and so on and so forth it might look different for you know different kinds of people this is the same with the works of uh decoloniality decoloniality in the context of you know pan not pan-africanism because those are actually two different frames they <clears throat> but decoloniality in the context of Africa might look somewhat different to decoloniality in Latin America and also different in, in the context of Australia. Um, and I came across uh, different scholars, white scholars in Australia who speak about decoloniality and same way as some who speak about intersectionality and, you know, some taking a bit of a critique on intersectionality, the fact that, you know, making claims that, you know, Prof. Crenshaw does not sort of define, therefore, what is race. She just leaves that for any other people. And I felt like, come on, dude, like, really, bro. So we really need to define then what is race um, in this context. But again, the you know, the particular scholar that I engage with, professor that I engage with in Australia spoke about the fact that she's more um, against intersectionality that sort of brings race into the picture because not everything is about race, but she was thinking more on a post-structuralist um, way of thinking, which I felt like, uh, look, yeah, indeed, we can come to the point where we accept that 
part of Crenshaw's work can be employed elsewhere, but it might look completely somewhat different. And very often the sadness of this is the fact that when people engage or come across, you know, intersectionality from the perspective of Australia than from the perspective of American context and without, you know, engaging the real works of the scholar, the actual person who coined intersectionality, chances is that the person who coined intersectionality might be criticized that the theory is bad simply because some people could not, you know, handle the theory accurately and in the best way that the person who coined it, you know, envisioned or whatever. So abundant ideology is something that I, I wish for us to to carry and the way in which I wish for it to be instrumental in the visions and tones is is to say to you as the listeners of the visions and tones if you are sort of married to your own ideology to the extent that whenever you hear certain conversations about topics that you're not really interested in i'd really plead with you to sort of listen in tune in as much as you might really not uh as though as even though it's not really a matter of not being interested in the topic, but even if it's a matter of not liking the topic completely, I think it will be much more um, good for you to sort of cultivate the culture of even listening to uh, certain works that does not sort of align with um, what you believe in. So for instance, visions and tones, uh, as much as the host and founder, which is myself, um, is Christian, I do not sort of plan to have conversations that only focus on spirituality. I would love to have conversations of also issues that I know and things that I know might be contrary to my religion. I'd, I'd want to talk with the LGBT community. I'd want to talk more about queerness. I want to talk more about cults, about abortion. Um, and doing that, employing a uh, Weber's notion of um, Verstehen, which, which by Verstehen, Max Weber basically meant having an empathetic understanding but i guess i mean also as a sociologist very often or one of the main one of the main behavior that you should embody is the fact that whenever you listen to other people's stories other people's narratives you try doing that in a more objective way uh, without casting any judgment but again it does not sort of make any sense to criticize people without understanding why they do what they do and so on and so forth so if you listen to the visions and tones be prepared for different kinds of um different kinds of topics uh um we we are going to talk about mental health men's mental health we are going to talk about finances we are going to talk about um you know different kinds of things if we ever speak about slave queens if we ever speak about bride prize if we ever speak about black tax many other things that sort of um as long as I think they 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 could be better understood even globally or it could be a notion that sort of is emerging and perhaps many people are not familiar with and i'm reminded of the works of um ellis walker on womanism if you'd remember on the first episode i had a conversation with uh nikki black um from the united states and she really did a brilliant job there to sort of educate about womanism and and sadly womanism angered some of uh, my friends and listeners and they were like we we're not appreciative of this uh, 
of this uh, frame because it is segregative and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, I appreciated the fact that they listened to Nikki Black until to the end of the conversation till the end of the talk or conversation that I had with her. So as part of the members or family of the Visions and Towns, just anticipate different kinds of topics really than holding on to um, your own ideology and thinking that truthfulness only is um, coming from your own angle because really it might not be coming from your own angle. And we will speak further even about truthfulness because I know that I already started taking a bit of a bite uh, earlier on, but I did not sort of stretch further about this whole thing about postmodern thinking and truthfulness and so on and so forth. Um, I don't want to exhaust you with that at this particular moment, but I want to leave you with that. Number one, abundant ideology. I think it is important to abandon ideology because <clears throat> this will help you and, and this will sort of stretch forth to Point number two that I want to make, if you abandon ideology and you listen to different kinds of methods, different kinds of frameworks, different kinds of theorization, and even school of thoughts, because what I've noticed is that you, you know, sometimes I come across a whole lot of my friends who are sociologists or they are linguists or they are, uh, you know, from mental health or behavioral scientists or whatnot very often it is easy for people to be caught up within their own discipline and not have any interest in any other different discipline but i think that also leads towards the poverty of knowledge um i think it is interesting and you know as the scholarship is growing i would love to see more work that you know serves to think integratively as opposed to separatists i mean just imagine being a sociologist who's having or possessing a great a fair share of average knowledge about what is happening within climate change or what is happening within economics and so on and so forth that's far much better because it will sort of widen the way in which you argue the way in which you debate so it's not just about perhaps it shouldn't be just about playstation or i'm just into fifa or uefa or you know whatever but can you imagine if you're a rounder, you also know what is happening in entertainment in the context of music. You, have, you understand what is happening in the context of politics because politics shapes who we are today. Um, understanding policies, if you're not interested in the global you know, politics, but at least understanding policies from your own immediate context, um, uh, at least that will be far more better. And that can actually help in terms of, you know, advancing one's way of thinking and ways of reasoning and giving a bit of evidence of what you have seen, which the very same evidence might need to be sort of rebranded each and every time, might need to be um, renewed as knowledge keeps, you know, evolving and changing and so on and so forth. Not that change is inherently bad, so to say. So, um if you sort of are aware also of different scholarships and different frames and whatnot, that will actually help going to point number two whenever you have conversations with other people. It will help in the sense that number one, you do not just disagree with people for the sake of disagreeing. So for those who are in critical thinking or engagements, you'd know how exhausting it is to sort of have a conversation with people who are just working on completely nothing. People who just disagree, 
because they find it fashionable to disagree. Or very often they might disagree because really um, they've got a point, uh, you know, to disagree, but perhaps it's a problem of articulation. Well, that's a different story. That's a different conversation in itself, but eventually you might have to work on your articulation and so on and so forth. But it's more exhausting. It is more exhausting to have a conversation with somebody who just disagrees because, you know, I've got to disagree. Um, I think that's really exhausting. But imagine if you disagree with somebody, but at the same time you have put into context um, Number one, so in the point of disagreement, I've put here that at least have an understanding of the premise in which one's claim was made from. So if you are going to create, if you are going to perhaps, let's say you disagree with somebody who's for Black Lives Matter, for instance, um, understand at least from what context and what point of view is Black Lives Matter, uh, Matter's emergence and what are its key objectives and so on and so forth. Because what I sort of came across is, is you find that people would disagree based on their, pre, their preconceived ideas or based on sensationalism, what they have seen somewhere, you know, online, and then they take the claims of online and make them to be the ultimate claim, even though it isn't really and it shouldn't be made the ultimate claim. So people would be against Black Lives Matter because they think, okay, Black Lives Matter coming from, you know, being a movement sponsored by the you know, Democrats, chances is that it follows sort of a uh, a communist leaning or a socialist leaning. And because one hates socialism or hates communism, then you find people inherently hating Black Lives Matter. I think it'll be more wise if you understand the premise in which Black Lives Matter is coming from, whether is it, in is it, is it its intention to parade communism and, and or socialism or it's just a movement that speaks genuinely against discrimination and oppression of one race by the other however part of the communist or socialist sort of um, elements of it becomes a default that actually helps you to understand to what extent can I point out what I agree with the movement and what I disagree with the movement than just using any preconceived idea to conclude that Black Lives Matter is more of a communist. And this could be the same with those who are religious who would say, we saw a few clips of Black Lives Matter burning a Bible, therefore these are anti-Christ or the anti-religious and so on and so forth. Therefore, what's the point of listening to their movements? Or understanding their movements. But again, if you listen to what I'm just saying now, clearly having to understand, you know, the objectives of a movement, objectives of whatever you're disagreeing with, it means you need to have a certain level of knowledge within it. Therefore, point number one, make sense. Abandon your own ideology. Read even that which sometimes you feel like you don't have the energy for or you disagree with, you know. Um... Because, I mean, it, it's not everybody who's a feminist and agree with each other. Even within feminism, there's differences. You know, even within the trans community, there's differences. Because there's other people who are more overzealous than the other. Or there's others who are more equipped than the other. Or there's others who possess a certain level of evidence than the other. But also there might be others who are just not reading. They just see something to jump on and let's go. So the second thing 
in terms of disagreements. So the first one I said, I understand the, ex- the, the premise in which that one's claim is made from. Um, secondly, I would say, um, at least be aware of what informs your state of disagreement. Is it, is it a matter of ideology that informs your disagreement? Is it trauma? Um, is it just your hate for certain other frames because a certain somebody who criticized your best speaker happens to be a leftist or happens to be more on the progressive but because you hated a person therefore you hate pro- everything about progressiveness so I think this should actually help you And but where am I coming from with this this is important because <clears throat> I felt much inspired even by one theory that I used on my PhD thesis. And it's not really much more of a famous um, theory, but I felt like it is an interesting theory that cannot just be employed or should not just be employed in the context of a scholarly, but just even in general chats, general thinking and talks and whatnot. Uh, the theory can help you also grow in terms of your debate. And, it's, and it was developed by my PhD supervisor, Dr. Hamed S.A. Hosseini. Shout out, Dr. Hamed. And it is on sociology of dissident knowledge. Sociology of dissident knowledge. So this theory basically aims at being more integrative as opposed to being, you know, separatist. What you find in most uh, scholars uh, or young PhD candidates or whatever, young research scholars, you find that people can really be glued to the fact that, oh, because I love Marx, let me just call myself a Marxist. But only focus on a certain element of Marx, just only Marx. And this has become the problem of today because people never really work to think as to whether being a Marxist doesn't make you just a better human being. But again, in terms of thinking, can we claim that capitalist is entirely the best system? It does not have any flaws that are too precarious in the same way as communism. Can we argue today that Capitalism is free of communist elements or can we argue that communism is free of capitalist elements or should be free of capitalist elements in the world of uh, neoliberal globalization, so to say. So sociology of dissident knowledge basically requires that you think about all those things think about the fact that you can argue about a theory from a modernist and a theory from a post-modernist or a theory from a decolonial thinking. But that's not what I wanted to say. Actually, here's the exact thing that I wanted to say about um, um, uh, theory of dissident, sociology of dissident knowledge. Apologies, because I don't want to sort of take the works of my great supervisor and misrepresent it. So, Sociology of dissident knowledge requires one to sort of think in a more historical element, in a more agential element, and in a more cognitive element. Think about how those interact with one another. So in the context of my research, for those who are not aware, let me just point out to you how did I employ this work. So I was looking at student protests in South Africa called the Fismas Full Movement, but inserting it more into the broader global neoliberal higher education than just arguing it on a local scale without inserting it on higher education matters and particularly neoliberal globalization. 
So apart from just looking at literature and having a, cer- a certain segment on literature that looks at the history of South African higher education, so SDK or Sociology of Dissident Knowledge became very instrumental in a sense that first, I looked at how student activists in South Africa use history as a motivating factor to embark in the Fismas Fall movement. How do they use history as a reason or as a motiv- motivating factor for them to participate in the Fismas Fall movement? Secondly, how do they sort of exercise what is called urgency? So for those who are more rooted in sociological work, they'll think of urgency meaning, you know, I'm more independent from the government or more independent from whatever stakeholders. But urgency in the context of SDK basically means by you participating in the Fismas Fall protest movement or you participating in whatever activity, what is it that you would say you have learned in relation to structure, in relation to governance, and so on and so forth? And that which you have learned, to what extent does it inform your level or your extent of continuing in the movement or continuing in the activity or moving out of the activity at all or moving out of the movement at all? And then, uh, so, okay, historical, agential, obviously cognitive, how students think, how students use their own personal narratives, their own personal stories, experiences, either be from home or be in the community. How do they use that basically to um, motivate themselves to, to or, 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 or rather to decide whether they should be part of a movement or they should not be part of a movement. But basically, when you look at the SDK, what I'm trying to say is that it involves different kinds of things because what, one of the other things that I look at is issues of structure. So when you look at history, obviously it involves issues of structure, but structure on how it also evolves over time, structure from the historical context, it might be from the apartheid context, structure in the context of... Um, uh, the contemporary and probably how then they think structure would look like going forward. And I mean, the work of um, Dr. Hamed on sociology of dissident knowledge, I know that some scholars of social movements might want to sort of compare it with uh, what is called conscious, I think it's, oh, I forgot the phrase. It's not conscious politics, contentious politics, I think. Um, I might be mistaken. But this theory sociology of dissident knowledge basically says think about a more integrative approach than a separatist approach so earlier when i sort of alluded a bit about early careers or early phd students you find that people would want to think that i only know structuralism therefore let me just only write from the context of structure but what if you write from the context of structure and from the context of um uh, functionalism and also point out how those relate to one another also towards the context of you know decoloniality because if you look at those also different scholars from functionalism or structural structural we're already in post structure thi- structural thinking but think about how that then speaks towards you know elements or issues around decoloniality which is more of a um, recent frame for most scholar for most for most people but I don't think um, uh, Walters, when when coining works on 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 decoloniality, was actually uh, just doing it only for focusing on the contemporary, but just mixing the the past, the history, and and the now, and probably projecting also a bit of the future of how the future should look like. Uh, both Walters, along with the likes of um, Anibal Quiano, uh, likes of. Um, 
profs uh, Sabelo Kajeni and Lovu Kajeni and so on and so forth. I don't want to get more scholarly in this, but here's the point. Here's the gist of what I was trying to say. What I was trying to say to you is that to sort of have a bit of an understanding of you know your social setting to be able to be a better debater to be able to engage well first it, at least get in the habit of abandoning ideology and then secondly get in the habit of um, having even your disagreement to be more informative in a sense that first of all uh, you think about you know the premise through which one's claim is made from and then you think about what also informs your form of disagreement and then when you do so hence you continue reading different materials listening to different stuff even those which is not you know from your own political leaning or your own philosophical or spiritual leaning that should also help you to sort of be able to engage with someone better than just disagreeing for the sake of disagreements and I sort of played a little bit there on uh, um, the works that I use on my PhD uh, theory coined from coined by uh, Dr. Hamed Hosseini on, on sociology of dissonant knowledge to sort of point to you how sociology of dissonant knowledge sort of requires a thinking about different things. So if you disagree with somebody, think about history. Are you disagreeing from the context of history and now history a decade ago, many years, ancient times? How relevant is that? Think about agential, the people today then, how do they make their own decisions? And whatever work that you're bringing from whatever context, whenever time, does it appear to be relevant for people today or it's just work that is wasting um, a bit of time? And as you do that, also look up across issues of structure you know, uh, what about structure? Is it a current structure? Is it an old structure? But at the same time, think about context. You know, is this thing relevant in terms of context? Don't find that you are arguing more about things that are relevant to the South African context, but not relevant to the Australian context or to the American context. But again, maybe to chip in the last one, issues of context also is as far important as it is. I think it can be very much helpful also for you as a family and as a listener of the vision and tones to think more about context think about your country who do you mostly mimic so i can tell you we've been observing this that the complexity of the trans community in america was bound to sort of stretch forth to different kinds of contexts today in the world and places such as south africa has already proven to sort of lean towards some of the arguments from gender studies from the american context so keep up with the time don't just be locked up within your own context yes it's not about coping and arguing as if you are from the other side it is about arguing and sounding like you are in your own local context but at least be aware of who is actually uh inspiring your own culture and what are the chances that very soon you'll look exactly like that particular culture and then that will help you in terms of your own critical thinking, critical reflection, your own arguments, and it will help you also settle in very well within the Visions and Tones podcast and help you not to just disagree for the sake of disagreeing. I hope that makes sense. And I just want to leave you with that. Thanks for choosing the Visions and Tones. And... Stay tuned for the next episode about friendships. It's amazing, interesting work. Um, fun, but really thought-provoking. 
employee and be best human beings be the best version of yourself and we'll see you soon cheers <laughs>